0: Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and joined this week by Mike Munschneider and Patrick Hidonga. To talk about running a skate park with Eric Visentin from Southside Skate Park in Houston, Texas. In many parts of the world, the weather can put a damper on skateboarding for much of the year. That's why an indoor skate park is a vital part of any skate scene. Privately owned indoor skate parks rarely seem to last long, but Southside has been going for almost 30 years. Eric, how have you managed to stay in business for so long?
1: Um Southside opened in 1994 and then my wife, Janine and I took over in 07. Uh, Keeping Southside Skate Park open has taken a lot of luck, determination and willingness to learn new things. You're always conceptualizing your own workload and what's best for the skateboarding community that frequents your park, whether you're doing events or considering street course rebuilds or ways to continue to assure patrons of the park that you still care about their skateboarding experience at your park.
2: So uh, Uh, as as a follow-up question for you, Tell us a little bit about Houston, Houston's scene, what Houston has contributed, um, and also geography-wise, because you know, we've got international listeners. They might not know what kind of weather that y'all got down there.
1: I mean, Houston, uh, Houston is the most diverse city in the United States. It's growing leaps and bounds every year. Uh, throughout COVID, we've had a ton of people moving here from the Northeast and the West, uh, growing every city in Texas. Um, We have some of the most difficult weather. Uh, I feel it's pretty difficult. I have been in Arizona and I got to give it to them that it's probably harder there, but it is incredibly hot or consistently rainy for long durations of time. That does aid, you know, the indoor skate park and kind of being a draw for people who just can't take it anymore. And are just want to skate something. And uh, we are the largest, we're the fourth largest city in the United States. A lot of times I am thinking that we're the third largest city in the United States. Uh, we have a huge population here. Our city is, is sprawling. It's massive. You really have to own a vehicle to live here. <clears throat> it's been an affordable town for many, many years to live. Cost of living was very low and there was a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of work here. I think uh, over these last few years, uh, the rest of the world's kind of woken up to what Texas has to offer. And so a lot of things are sort of changing very quickly here. As far as the cities in Texas go, we're not really, you know, your number one city to move to if you're moving in from another surrounding state. If I were to get into the contributions that uh, the city of Houston has made in skateboarding it, you know, RBU Malley would be an incredible individual who created a ton uh, kind of grew up here in Houston filming at Skatepark of Houston with names you guys mentioned on your previous episode like Anthony Korea and then um another filmer that I looked up to a lot as a kid would be been uh Travis Sales filming all the heads um you know RB moved up to New York went on to make uh you know New York mixtape one and then so much more after that and then um you know, the, the kid at the beginning of Metris, the spot check, uh Metrospective 6 was Kenny Kohanic, KK. That iconic voice and intro is ingrained in everyone's minds who watched 411s all those years. Gosh, what have we contributed? We have just, we just have the city. We have that scene. We have um, downtown Houston. Um you're you're seeing our city in all of your videos you just don't know what you're looking at oftentimes um you know we have our iconic tranquility rail like the proving ground like so much went down on that now skateboarding has evolved so much that it's not just taking place on the small rail it's taking place on the large rail the big corner rail which had only been like you know board slid nose slid front boarded 50 you know a video it would be i would say foreign friends you know the forest kirby video would have been a Really nailing it like around like ninety nine two thousand two thousand and one whenever that came out as far as a video to really hang your hat on, and then we've had just like a crop of like young filmers that are making videos uh like they're they're I watched them grow up, but I mean John Danielson's probably our most accomplished like highest quality creating creative when it comes to videography, and uh I keep talking about filmers. You know, Daryl Stanton. I mean, Peter Ramadan and Ernie Torres like came to Houston to blow up, you know, um, or help them kind of move on. You know, Cody McIntyre passed passed through here. You know, Nate Broussard, toy machine days. Nate Broussard uh, was really enjoyable to be around and watch skate film. We Brad Heiser, incredible skateboarder. Um, nowadays, like the kids now, we currently have a kid named Ben Haverin. He's on zero. He's been on some trips with Jamie he's still getting boxes still on so that's that's good like that's um we have up-and-comers like people who skate incredibly hard they're great skateboarders everybody who comes to town they they have done all the tricks everywhere you go whether it's like Hollywood Martinez Ben Haver, um Max Peterson gosh I'm trying to think of some people who just really have been like nailing it lately
0: um, it's got to be so frustrating for the visiting pros it is. when, like, just like, oh shit, like somebody already, somebody beat me to it. But I, I think it's kind of cool. I remember one time traveling with Heath and Bera in uh, Cincinnati, and Joe Castrusi was taking us around, and he was like, "Oh yeah, Kokomo Joe did this here. Kokomo Joe did that here." And uh, <laughs> halfway through, we were like, "Oh, this spotsman Kokomo Joe."
1: <laughs> I forget who or what team it was. But every single place they went, Hollywood Martinez had done this and Hollywood Martinez had done that. And it was like, they were like, okay, we're ready to meet this person now. We're ready to meet this guy, you know, which is kind of funny. You guys were talking about, you know, these local videos coming out like she's cheating and not leaving like anything left for visiting pros and ams, you know, and that's people who are just... You know, there's a synergy, as you know, like when, you, when you're when you filming a video and you're making a video and you're working with or skating with your friends and the same people. And over time, everybody just evolves, you know, the filmer, the editor, multiple filmers or whatever, and the, and the crew, and they just get so good at, and, and they're killing it in their towns. And they're taking little trips and they're unfunded and they're hungry. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing right now. And for it to live like you guys were talking about you know for 10 days or whatever it has uh on the front page of like the media i don't know i'm not sure what that is is that is it just because it's exciting you know is it i don't know they're fresh new faces and everything like m- mattering more to the masses uh than the industry itself or those that grace the pages i mean i don't know i'm totally off ta- i'm totally off topic here no so, no the Louie, the, the, Louis, the Louis part was incredible. USC, what a great premise, right? Skated that for like a week or whatever, a couple weeks, put out that amazing Louis part, you know, so he, you know, they, they matter, they still matter, but I mean, this, this Dwyer kid, you can't deny what you saw and it was enjoyable. Him barking at Caswell at the bottom of the stairs kind of uh, summarizes uh, what is happening kind of in a way
2: here and there. And Eric, you're, you're touching upon something super important, is that you know we're living in this time where we have access to more skateboarding than any generation that's come before us. Us as old heads and the young kids who are coming up, they no longer have to wait. They're not waiting weeks, months, years between magazines, videos. Everything is instantaneous. And so they're latching onto local videos and local scenes, especially for places like Houston, simply because they've never seen it or, you know, historically there's not been as much of it. And the novelty is something that really excites people. So, you know, kind of pivoting back to, you know, running a skate park, maintaining a skate park, I guess, um, as more specifically an indoor skate park. And we've touched upon this, you know, with Mike being based up in Minnesota, like how an indoor skate park can really serve as a hub for a place where the weather might not be that great, like I think about how many amazing pros have come out of Texas and have come out of Minnesota, and these are places that are not California. And so, tell us what it's been like with Southside and how y'all have cultivated that and how you've you fostered that over the years, especially since you've been running the park.
1: Just trying to continue the legacy that Southside started in you know 1994 when it opened. I spent so much time there and in the 90s, you know, it was still like kind of gnarly, you know, if you were either kind of in or you were out a little bit. And uh, a lot of the the skaters that were on the street course most of the time were all from like Skateboard Houston, which would be like very far from where I grew up skateboarding, so I didn't really know them that well, but so I would say it basically caused me to want to sort of earn their respect or, you know, see, you know, tried to, but I think the way that we cultivated it since taking over in 2007 was really trying to kind of maintain like what had taken place from 94 to 2007 with what I had witnessed, trying to allow the park to be a place where skateboarders could just be skateboarders. You know, I, I see a lot of things online about various indoors or even shop sometimes. And like, I kind of feel like maybe they don't really understand like the soul of what's taking place, like the subculture or I don't know if it's a subculture or whatever it is, it's the gathering point. You know, a a good indoor is always gonna be the gathering point. Very few people have passed through Houston that didn't spend significant amount of time at Southside just skateboarding and meeting everyone and kind of growing as a person and stuff. I can name a few. But very few people have come up out of Southside that I wasn't aware of, you know, and, and that's all from just being at Southside, being around Southside. We just, we really just try to, man, we just try to carry on tradition.
3: It's really important. Did, um, Eric, do you think like, because yeah, I came up, as Patrick mentioned, in like a thick indoor skate park culture up here in Minneapolis. Are the dynamics different when everybody's inside as opposed to like at, you know, the random, even a good public skate park, maybe not fenced in? Are the dynamics just different when you're in that warehouse day after day? Like, do people get to know each other better? Is it somehow tighter knit? I would say it's interesting,
1: right? We, we, you know, we're playing music. We can play any music we want or if somebody wants to hear something in particular, we can put that on too. Uh, so like the earbuds are out, you know, people aren't wearing headphones. We we do try to let them know not to wear headphones, uh, not at Southside, but just in general, because it's just like, you know, that little thing. But uh, yeah, I think it's something about being indoors. I mean, it's just you're together. If you can get that same vibe and that same hype at a smaller indoor skate park. But some of these massive installations that we have actually here in Houston, we have a very, very large skate park that you can go there and you're literally probably skating by yourself. Even if you went with friends, you have to make like a conscious, conscious effort to stick together.
3: Yeah. How how big is Southside? It's,
1: it's a 15,000 square feet. So it's a hundred by 150 square you
3: know feet. Got it. Yeah. I, I grew up at the third layer. It's original iteration, which was the twin city skate oasis prior to that. And that was 10,000 square feet. And it sounds big, but it, it's, it's, I mean, there's plenty of space, but it's also cozy.
1: So Yeah, 10,000 square feet would be cozy for sure. The park actually began in what you saw in Spot Check 411 Volume 6 with Kenny. It was another warehouse, other side of the neighborhood. The address was 1313 Missouri. Now, I don't know how any address with like two unlucky numbers would allow something like this to continue on the way that it has. But luckily enough, the original owner... Owned enough commercial property in South Houston. And after you know, opening the doors in 94, by 96, skateboarding was kind of on and up and coming up mm-hmm. and getting itself together. And so they went ahead and took some property they had and built the warehouse we're in now. And it was actually built for skateboarding. At that time, you needed a vert ramp, so our ceilings are very high, even though we don't have a vert ramp at this time. And then so that's a very expansive and open feeling, even though you're indoor. And then they understood, they learned a lot, you know, like the original pro shop at 1313 Missouri, you would go through the shop. Well, they discovered that the in and out of skateboarders skateboarding at the indoor skate park and going out to their car and then coming in and going out to their car. They actually went out and created like an entryway, you know, like you go, you come in our doors, you go to the right, you go to the checking window, you go to the left, you go to the shop. And then there's another aspect of that is like if you you know retails are really important to an indoor skate park in fact, it's a big big percentage of who we are and, and what we do. The skate park itself, although it can generate some income is really an amenity you know so you really want to do like a good retail so having that door to your left kind of lets the staff actually help people or work with people who are really trying to make purchases while other people are checking in at the window and they're kind of they they don't they don't disturb each other because I mean, it could... I'm sure we have people... I used to roll up to every skate park with butterflies as a kid, you know? Nervous. (laughs) So, I'm sure we have kids showing up nervous, but they want to come in, they need a board, or they need a pair of shoes, whatever it is, and they have mom, and they probably don't want, like, all, like, the the OGs, like, who are
0: going in and out of the park, like, seeing all that, you know? (laughs) So,
3: yeah. Yeah, I totally get that dynamic. I like that.
0: I mean, we've seen a lot of Southside over the years through 411 and you know online edits or whatever, how important is it to have pros come through like for name recognition and just to get average Joes to come skate the park too?
1: I mean, if you have a, a well put together tour with a the, with the team that, and team manager that gets it and, and the team gets it and they're gonna come in and enjoy their time with us, we try to make them feel as, as comfortable and as normal as possible. I, I think it's I think it's important. I've seen demos like resonate with the the people on hand, and I've seen like demos and signings maybe not kind of kind of miss the mark somehow. Like the 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 skaters in attendance kind of almost don't even know like what brand they're looking at, or are maybe almost more you know, inclined to be skating themselves and in, you know, checking out the skateboarding that the, the pros and M's are kind of putting on. If it, this is if it's a scheduled demo and signing situation.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: the, the stop buys almost go over better because I think they are a little more natural. Ashad Ware was in town shooting for a particular dunk release some time ago and made sure to come by, say hello. And he came in and, and just rolled around in his very wear way, and it was just a really beautiful thing. And like everybody enjoyed that. And he just kind of became part of like our normal day to day, like that session that evening. And if you were there, you kind of knew. And then pretty quick, social and everything, people were, would start to arrive. And duty just did his thing. He just he just wants to skate. I, I'm not sure if if his method. I feel like his method. Is there both of them have their place and both of them are effective. But as far as like connecting like the audience to a brand, I'm not sure how effective that is anymore at times.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought that Ishad coming and skating with people would, would like translate into more sales.
1: uh, Sorry, Ishad would, but the like, whenever we have, you know, I'm probably thinking more about like the Texas skate jam days when there was like so many AMs and pros. People didn't really know what was going on.
3: I guess I'm thinking about like the past couple of demos I've been at. And and again, yeah, coming from like the indoor park scene, people just want to skate anymore. I feel like, and like the, the sit down and watch demo isn't the same as it was in like, I don't know, 98 when toy machine came through and you were, you were in awe of everything. I, I feel like that dynamics, that formal dynamic has kind of moved on, but yeah, the Ishad, just like skating. I love, the, I, I love the idea of people being like, yo, Southside, right now, he's there. <laughs> and, yes. and, it, and it's like, show up. Yeah, that's, that's organic. I mean, it probably plays better in just the way that the
2: world works and the way that information spreads. Absolutely. And, and also, like, Ishad is arguably the best skateboarder on the planet. And we're lucky to just be in into skateboarding and fans of skateboarding while he is out there doing his thing. And he is one of those, you know, there's like maybe a handful of skaters on the planet who can command that type of attention, you know? And this sounds real corny, but it's like watching ballet. It's like watching, you know, a great artist. You know, you, you just, how can you want to skate when Ishad's doing his thing? People, people were doing it. People were kind of dropping in.
1: They were excited to skate with Ashad. Not everyone. A lot of mm. people were sitting. A lot of people were watching, enjoying, and knew what they were looking at. And then there are other people who were enjoying it, but they were like, "I'm gonna get it in with the shot. This is sick, you know, like just super hyped." So it does play a little better to come and just not, you know, to just roll around in that way. But there are, I, I, as a as a skate park operator, I can't exactly totally say that, you know, a bigger machine, a more scheduled event, um, maybe they. Bought out the park, everyone's skating for for free, they're feeding everybody. The team's there killing it, and they're doing an in store like a signing behind the counter, and then they even like have like tour merch on top of it like yeah, like in a way that kind of works too so they're they're really i would say both work, but I do question sometimes just the young the younger skaters that I'm witnessing uh like you know you're eight to twelve maybe 13 year olds like are they like do you know what's happening right now and maybe that's to be expected
0: they might just feel the energy you know like they might not know the specifics but they they might just know that they're like some crazy shit's happening and skateboarding is cool and like they just want to be a part of it you know
1: absolutely and that's why they kind of like have a hard time sitting still and they're just totally skating you know what i
2: mean yeah So. so speaking of uh the good of running a skate park such as Ishad, where popping in for a session or two or three. Um, what are some of the challenges of running a skate park and what's the hardest part about it? What's something that uh, regular, regular skateboarders will never understand about doing what you do? Well, probably
1: that a lot of what we do is completely out of our control sometimes in skateboarding, you know. Um, You have to, as an entrepreneur in skateboarding, you pretty much have to challenge yourself. Uh, You've got to roll with like the ebb and flow of skateboarding. It's a cyclical business. If skateboarding is on a down, we're on a down. And even if all the normal core heads are at the park as usual, and they're wanting to see like whatever the hottest, latest, whatever it is, like, are you getting that? Are you getting this and that? It's like, you probably ordered just about, everything that you should have based on whether we're on an up or a down but you just kind of have to kind of push forward regardless of what the cyclical nature of skateboarding is doing around you um but in recent years you know skateboarding has been on on the up and it's been like great to witness that in all the shops
3: how do you deal with um maybe this is like end of interview stuff and in in my journalistic mind but uh how do you deal with like the homies you know all skaters probably think they should skate for free for one reason or another. Like how do you regulate that? Cause I know um, I've worked for two indoor skate parks up here and that's kind of the bane of the existence in a way.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's uh, when I think about it, I just try to remind myself that like, if I didn't charge to skate here, we'd probably close. I just kind of <laughs> use that as the motivation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even though the skate park's not the business necessarily, if the skate park was completely free, then that would definitely not work you know so everybody we it's almost like there's a mental book and you're constantly paying attention to what's happening around you like as you're trying to carry on tradition and so all i know like who's who and who should be skateboarding for free based on their output at this time whether they ride for our shop or another shop or where they're at with their skateboarding and it really is kind of harsh that I have to be that person sometimes. It's not really, it's not fun, but actually I knew this question was going to come up and I wanted to mention a friend of mine. Well, he was like, when, in the early days of taking over Southside, when we would rebuild, we would bring in Spearco skate parks, like Jason Spear and his crew. And on that crew was a guy named Abe Towery. And Abe Towery was a very interesting guy from Albuquerque, New Mexico, man. A lot of respect for this guy. And when we talk about indoor skate parks, we talked about skate parking in another city, he would claim that it might not work. And I would ask him why. And he said, because the community there is not trained to pay to skate anywhere. So opening a park in a, in, a, in a community where they currently skate for free everywhere they go, they're not going to necessarily understand that. So I think because of our longevity, everybody knows like, you know, like, what it, what we're about, what it is, you know what I mean? And a lot of times people are, dude, dude, money is in hand. The other aspect of it is that we've never changed our price since 1994. You know, our competition is free. So it's five to skate as a member or 10 to skate as a non-member. I put a, a wristband on your left arm and you can come and go as you please from the time you arrive until we close. Because the skate park's an amenity. You know, we're about we're really about our retail. You know, we have to make that work to make all of this work, you know?
2: Got it. So then hard hitting question. Is there anybody in skateboarding who that's the homie they get in for free? Like I'm talking about um, big timers, industry people, legends, like like a Gons or somebody like that. a Jim T, somebody that you'd be like, no, 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 please, please. You got to come in.
1: Yeah. uh, Those guys would absolutely skate for free. And Patrick, believe me, like we have all these locals that skate for free, too. Like what Mike's telling you about that it, it exists. And it's just a matter of you can stay ahead of something like that. Or you can just, you know, you try to charge people about as long as you can until they just arrive. But so Jim T, if he were to pull up, he's going to probably want to pay me like 10 bucks non-member rate and refuse to let me let him skate for free. <laughs>
4: yep. Okay.
1: That's one guy. Uh, Gons, man, we have tried many, many times to get Gons to Southside. He's never made it. So Mark Gonzalez, I'm giving you a shout out, call out, whatever you want to hear. I want you to come to Southside and say, hi, you know, we love you, Mark.
0: Yeah, he listens, um, for sure.
1: <laughs> no way, really? That'd no, be I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to skating for free and getting stuff out of the shop, it's interesting, uh, in recent years, a lot of the pros lately have full-on been like, full-price, please. Like Nora, mm. she fully was just like, full-price, please. She's like, so sweet, man. She she was buying um, Oski's board, it had a cat on it, and she loved, you know, their
3: buddies. So,
1: yeah, she was psyched.
3: Up here we had the twin city skate oasis that was in the early nineties. And there was a gap in the mid nineties. I want to say 93 ish to 96 ish, where there was no indoor skate park in town. And like, it's, it's incredible that probably 97% of the skaters in town have never not had an indoor skate park. And I mean, the winters are real up here with a lot of snow and everything. And I think that plays into the need of just like, come on people. Like, you do pay to skate until you reach a level and then maybe you can still be helpful around the place. You know, it's, it's always an issue up here. And I've dealt with it firsthand. So.
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, there's other ways to contribute and a lot of times those individuals that achieve that status uh, have contributed to the park in some kind of way or continue to do so. Um, It's tough though, because at the end of the day, we do have rent and property taxes and overhead but, uh, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been to Minneapolis. I've been to Topshop up there. And right. it, it's, man, <laughs> no doubt, it's cold, you know. It's uh, unbearably cold. I, I actually think to myself, like, th- these guys got it good, like, they, people have to come here, you know. Cause, oh, yeah. and, and there's, like, then there's even, like, heaters running the length of the warehouse and the fuel to run that. I mean, I think I could even see flames, which is really freaky to me in a, in a skate park, you know. But then it's, then it's so seasonal, then it's off season up there. And that's when I think those parks really have a difficult time, you know, and that uh, I know that they would um, engage with like different festivals and, you know, the yeah. outside looking in, like that guy, Trog, dude, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a beast, man. He, he's, he works hard from what I, you know, I know he's a hand and he was that third layer for quite some time. But just setting up those festivals and stuff that they were doing, and I'm sure he had, he had help. And I don't know everybody up there. I know Emrod, I know Trog, you know, Nesser, dude, awesome park, man. Familia is always such a beautiful park. Looks good. So good job to that whole Minneapolis scene to keeping those parks running up there. That's, that's a triumph, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, speaking on that offseason thing, especially with Third Lair, it's uh, the word that comes to mind is hustle just because it's the festivals. I mean, they were doing. I, I was actually disappointed this year. The Lair had been doing demos with the street chorus at the Minnesota state fair, which I think is the second biggest state fair in the country. Maybe after one in Texas. I'm not sure. Yeah, The
1: Dallas, maybe the Dallas, Texas state fair. Yeah.
3: Okay. We're rivals now, but, um, <laughs> yeah, they, uh... I'm in
1: Houston. I'm in Houston.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, remember like... <laughs> Houston, Houston. <laughs> well, remember I'm just that. saying state wise, state wise, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. um, you know, they 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 didn't have the street course there. And I think it was pandemic related more than anything because the okay you know, thing's still relating. But you know, I was out there with my kid and some friends' kids and we wanted to see the skaters out there because it's always fun to roll up there and shit. I used I, I did that 20 years ago, like skated demos and worked the booth at the Minnesota State Fair for the third layer. And um yeah, it's 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 a lot of work to keep it during the lean to keep it going during the lean times then. Yeah, the win winter you got that captive audience. I mean, that's when you just like you're living indoors with everybody in the scene or everybody who like wants to have a scene going. So, which is why
1: you were kind of were kind of probing about, you know, the being indoors, that I think it was a being indoors thing or what, you know, because very much in Minneapolis, you guys are all in the same box, you know, uh for like 10 weeks or whatever it is when it's just completely unbearable, maybe four months, something like that. Give or so, take, give or take. Yeah. 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 So 10 weeks, four months, some more like four months, but yeah. There Anyway, I don't want to go backwards. So yeah.
3: Just, just wondering, I don't know if we really nailed it down at the front end, like in Houston, is it June, July, August, early September when it's so hot that people don't want to skate outside or like, do you, do yeah. you have a season quote unquote?
1: Well, this year our season was backwards so june one it was like flipping a light switch and it was so boiling hot that those of us who are old enough to put our skateboards down and still be able to skate in like eight to 12 weeks like probably <laughs> did it was just so hot, really 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 hot uh, and then in, now then in august we finally received all this rain so we were in a drought now we just like non-stop rain throughout august so that kind of drove everybody in, you know, like a normal, more normal of the season with like a lot of rain, and then now we just caught like the first cool front where you know a cool front here is like 91s are high, and we were actually seeing a 69 degree evening or something like that like last couple of days. So unbearably hot. It could go. It could begin in March and not stop until December 5th. It could be uh, a very long season. I mean, we're generally in our shorts. For Christmas. So it's, it's, I would say it's, it's definitely unbear I mean, not, un- it's never unbearably hot. We're kind of used to it, but there's definitely, like, I'd say the jump off point is unbearably hot, usually by June 10th, and uh, doesn't let up until, you know, we're kind of approaching Halloween, wondering if we're able to wear masks or not, basically. Wow.
2: So, as a follow up question, first of all, uh, Shout out to that uh, low of 69 degrees, just got to say nice. What's your been your best experience with a pro at the park? And like, you do not have to name names. This is not a gossip podcast unless you want it to be. What's the worst thing that a pro or pros have done at Southside?
1: One of my best experiences at the park was, uh, I guess, MJ had just received Saudi. And back then, I think the trips were a little smaller. He came and wanted to skate some spots that Guru had. And they came by the park and it was literally like the day after the Saudi party. And, uh, I don't know, man, I just like went out there with like a guest crooked board and like a chocolate board and got MJ's signature, like, a not super fanning out, you know, but you know, it's MJ and respect. So anyway, I was psyched on that. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't really, I came up with a few of these instances, but there's been a whole lot of things that's taken place in 15 years that I've been doing this. I guess so like you know like when skateboarders come in and they're maybe they're on a team trip like Alex Olson was in that Nike SB van and he just seemed like he could use like a place to kind of like just be by himself so it was like here come back here dude stock room board build table like set up your board you know like he seemed to be thankful to have that space to like away from the public to like set up whatever he needed to set up and then go roll around in the park on one of the more recent tours it was actually like the one we it was like the kind of the first time i'd seen uto skate in person and uh so just being able to provide like skateboarders or traveling skateboarders like a refuge like that's kind of one of my happiest moments and um i have my carol here uh borrowed the phone to call transportation to the airport that was pretty tough that because it's hard not to like gawk you know and i'm usually pretty impervious to that doesn't I don't usually fan out too bad, but you don't see Carol a lot. You're not going to see Carol in your shop a lot. And then, um, let's see here. I mean, got a gotta, gotta shout out, man, the, Sh- the Sheckler Foundation. They had donated like 10 grand to Southside Skate Park and, uh, Ryan and his Be the Change group came and met with some kids of various abilities. And many of those were with special needs and kind of meeting some of those skaters and getting inspired. So that was like a really awesome kind of moment. That you felt like someone cared this is really at the tail end of the teens like 2013 to 17 20 2013 2017 you know that four-year period where i felt like skateboarding had kind of been on a down there was a ton of new brands but they were still small and kind of learning how to like make things go and uh it was like the tail end before the COVID anomaly anomaly with you know the endless summer and things like that so that was probably my one of my favorite things you know just because I just felt like somebody cared, you know, after a long period of time with brands, not really sure what they're doing in marketing there people aren't really coming to town. Uh, people are connecting with their fans on IG more than they're like actually touring anymore. A lot of things were kind of in limbo. So that was, that's probably my favorite, favorite stuff. The, the worst things pros have done at Southside, the worst things. I mean, a huge pro this dude is still huge to this day in the late 90s stole my friend's 16 millimeter camera. And uh, he had shot all that penny footage that's at the beginning of the memoir video. And from 2004, I had sent Templeton the link. And uh, there's some penny footage in the, in the, in the beginning of it. I, I, I gave it to Colt to Tom as well, but my friend had shot that stuff on that camera. But luckily he, he was able to get the camera back, but that was pretty harsh because this guy is like a very successful individual in skateboarding right now. But back then he was, you know, he was going to get there somehow. He needed that camera. I don't know. There's one, there's a random one here. It's not even from South side, but it's kind of funny that I'd, that I'd done. It was a uh, basically, I know a filmer that literally had to like jump out the window of uh, to escape his pro captive in San Francisco to catch a cab to the airport. And then that pro got in his vehicle and drove 24 hours to Houston straight like to get the tapes from this filmer (laughs) that was insane and then but the 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 footage is in like a very very important skateboarding video um like time code you know uh so okay in the late 90s hint hint in the late 90s here at Southside, the locals were super harsh you know i told you guys about that oh man let's see here i would say okay we had an instance at one of our, one of the Texas skate jams where some pros went to the bar next door, were kind of out of their minds already, like grabbed behind the bar, got some bottles from behind the bar, like served themselves, were arrested. It wasn't that terrible. It wasn't like anything. Um, we had a huge like three van demo show up. How many man, you know what? These are the worst things, but these are just all the most memorable things, you know, some of them. So these are the stories uh, people want to hear. Are they? Okay. Okay. We had a, we had a, like a really huge demo. And it was like, it was like, think, you know, think to yourself, three team bands, you know, one entity is introducing a new entity uh, as part of their distro. The signing was so insane. It was like, we had about 30 people lined up signing. And at the end of the line, you know, you have the lingering public that these are like people they want to talk with and chill with and party with. And so at the end of the line in the shop, it was just pretty much like a raging party of like lingers and pros and abs. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure if that's the worst or the best, but some of the people on hand were, you know, parents and children. And it's like super hard for us to regulate because again, we're, we try to like be a place where we let skateboarders be skateboarders, you know, to, to a point to, you know, but it's definitely hard to regulate, you know, on, on the industry sometimes, but, I mean, it was one of the best demos we've ever had. So I can't really be too upset about it.
2: Too hot for TV.
0: Yeah. I feel like you can't be too mad if if they come in and get the job done. Well there's
1: there's a level of like there's a level of like beer drinking and chilling and all that. That's all that's all par for the course, but like this is like next level. Imagine next level in the shop, you know?
0: Yeah, it seems tough from a a business perspective.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm generally, I'm, I mean, in, in that instance, I'm not even considering it from a, like a business perspective. It's just a like, hey, we just don't want to offend anybody or, you know, you know what I always tell people, and this is kind of crazy, you know, uh, whenever I have to like go and regulate on something that's going on in the park or outside the park or whatever, I try to let the dudes know, like, hey, there's a kid, he's been begging his parents to bring them here they're here and you're doing exactly what what that parent said that that they don't want their child to go and skate there because of this this and this they pull up you guys are doing the exact thing that that kid has assured his parents that's not going on and he wants to come skate finally got them to do it finally got them to bring them and then if that's going on then boom that skateboarder isn't coming back and so i try to like get people to think about the kid that's the skateboarder that was them, you know, and whenever they consider like how they go about doing what they want to do, you know?
0: Yeah. It seems like a good tactic.
3: Yep. How much uh, did you think about, I mean, you, you, you took the business over 15 years ago. Were you thinking about that kind of role model? Isn't the exact right thing to like the way to describe The role you're in when you're telling people like hey tone it down man like there are stakes here like did you think of how much were you thinking of having to set that example or just like you know setting an example and creating a scene at the same time
1: i mean i would say you know when i was offered the park i was like 30 years old and then i had to report to my old job for over a year before i actually like took the reins that was really difficult but In thinking it through, I didn't know anything about the business of running a park or shop. I had just been a patron of the facility and understood like the ins and outs of it. I didn't know what I was going to encounter, but you know, the idea of like owner operating Southside Skate Park was like an incredible opportunity. My wife, Janine, actually went and worked at the park, unknowing to the crew for about seven months and just kind of like, you know, Hey is this possible would we actually be able to pay this like monthly is that even visible and uh once once she was on board then I was I was I knew what I wanted to do but the idea that you're going to have to go in there and regulate on your friends yeah it's super hard but I don't even it's not even like that at Southside like people pretty much know I I don't know. I, I hope that any instances that I've had with various skateboarders or people over the years that might have that I might have had to address about whatever is taking place that they understand why. I don't think I've ever like come at anybody sideways or been I'm not like a tyrant or anything like that at all. That's just not gonna work. We'd be closed if that was the case. You know, again, we are a place where like your skateboarding is our priority and you are we we are here to let you just be the skateboarder that you are and i think right now in society it's just so important
0: yeah people need a place to be who they are especially skaters absolutely so back to best and worst i want to talk about the actual skate park what's the best or like what's the most popular obstacle at the park and then also i want to know like what have you tried to build that's just been a total stinker like you thought it was going to be this awesome, like, obstacle, and then everybody's like, this thing, I can't skate this thing.
1: Well, right now, like, I think the most popular obstacle in the park, on the street course, it's going to be this ledge. We call it the one. And it's just literally in the middle of the room. It's probably about 20 feet. It has uh, angle iron on angle, proper cornered angle iron on it, not rolled steel. And uh, once it broke in, it just became just this magical ledge that people just seem to love. I mean, they literally will skate it all day long. And then uh, i maybe on the transition side, it's like our two wooden bowls. We have some great bowls for, if you're in a transition, we have like federal stone coping in half of our large bowl that people love people who travel and come in and have never been there. That's usually what they're telling me about. If they're in the transition, how amazing the federal stone coping is on in our wooden bowl and uh but i would say i would say believe it or not it's just a ledge like in the middle of the room a perfect ledge and then we also have two black granite ledges that have been set up at various times that have seen like so much action apparently steve vera even had claimed at one time it was literally the perfect ledge when he came to visit which was nice the old the the worst obstacle that i ever built or conceptualized or thought would be cool potentially and And I'm probably forgetting some because there are probably people going screaming, like, you know, clutching the phone thing. Like, no, it's this. But anyway, uh, we once built a pyramid so high uh, because we were trying to accommodate like a bank wall on the side and then come out with like an A frame off of that bank. Seems sick. Like you would just like hit the bank and like wall ride over the A or you could go from the A to the bank or you could come from the big pyramid behind it, gapping into the A. And all those things happened, you know, all those things took place, but it created such a huge uh, pyramid. It was literally like, might as well just be a motocross jump in the (laughs) back. Uh, You know, it was way too high. We were just trying to do too much. And I was working with like a professional skate parking company at the time. And, but they were building what we wanted, you know, there were, and I kind of had some other people, on staff or on on my team helped me out with the idea as well. But I mean, I'll take full credit for it. I think I, I think I blew it pretty hard with the uh, with this massive uh, like BMX prop. I swear it was crazy. (laughs) That was early days. Uh,
3: Let's see here. Yeah. I think that's about it. Yeah. Speaking of which, I was just wondering, are you guys skateboard only?
1: Well, we, uh, we do allow, we do allow quads. There's been like a rise in quads. I mean, Are they the mother of skateboards potentially? Uh, So a little bit of respect there for them. Try to try to have respect for the quad riders. We do have rollerbladers. Again, we're such a diverse city. We have a lot of South American rollerbladers and also American rollerbladers. They're still like kind of lingering from that period of time. They're they're still riding. They generally seem to come on a particular night. So it's not really all the time. We allow scooters. Sometimes you just need people in the park you know if it's chill you know so you're happy to maybe i don't know if you're happy to see him but you're not like super bummed and we don't really have like a big scooter population here so we're kind of dodged a bullet there okay
2: i gotta get a flight i gotta come to houston no scooters (laughs) about it okay nice
3: yeah the inline thing is interesting because you say it's like yeah the, the the people of a certain age they're all like 41, 37 to forty-one, and they have just hung on. I I, I want to see like a New York Times magazine piece on the original aggressive roller, aggressive inliners who have who have stuck around. Yeah, we've got we've got like the little outdoor public parks where you know you can if you're there on a certain night you're gonna run into the three of them. You might even know them from back in the day. It's funny.
2: Yeah, shout out to the rollerbladers who've, who've somehow managed to hang on because at least uh the one dude who was in our crew he was out of his mind like he would try anything and he got broke off so many times but I, th- and I think that's why we loved hanging out with him because he was down for whatever we had a there was a this was like
3: minneapolis was like a pro rollerblade mecca for whatever reason i don't know rollerblade is from here but not aggressive not necessarily aggressive inline skating to be formal but um I was at the third layer. Wait, this is the 90s, late 90s. And forget the guy's name, so I won't butcher it. But um, I think it was the show Blind Date, maybe. I don't know. He was on one of those late 90s dating shows. And he came through with the camera crew to be like, yeah, I'm a pro rollerblader. I do this. And he probably filmed some clips on the vert ramp that day. Did the date go well? I have no recollection of it. And I'm not even sure if I ever saw it on TV. But the dude rolled through. And I mean, that's that's kind of like the the charm of the the indoor skate park. Again, it's indoor skate park, the private park in a way where it's like people, you know, once you start hanging out there and if you need to be there because it's the only way you can do it sometimes, like
2: some funky stuff happens at those places. Yep, this is true. Um, I actually had a a follow up question uh, with regards to the park. Are there any fantasy obstacles that you've always wanted to build?
1: Uh, I've considered, you know, like TVS, you know, from polar video, um, just the wall rides and just like tight, like, could I take like the entire street course wall, like the back wall and put like, you know, not even DIY, but build it out of wood somehow, you know, is there like a metal that makes like that sound that they have at, you know, in that section of the polar videos with paunches and stuff. It's from like,
0: you know what I'm talking about? The train mm-hmm. line? Yeah, it's like yeah. a the fence is like a tight tight weave or something. So
4: Yeah, it's like exactly.
1: Yeah, and you would, you know, fabricate that down the entire wall. Uh, there'd be gaps for our doors that we bring up daily. We'd have that, you know, and you'd have like a bunch of tranny. And, but to do that, it would be extreme, right? So you can't really change any aspect of the park without affecting another aspect or many aspects of the park. So uh, I've also considered like at times like recreating the world park, like the the old world park, just for yeah, better or yeah. for worse. You know what I mean? Like graphing everything. like. But the world park took place in such a smaller space that our street course is actually probably one of the longest, if not the longest, indoor skate park street course in the US. And our slab, I think our slab being poured for skateboarding and being poured in 97 and the materials that they used. And again, the commercial property, previous owner, his father he put the warehouse up. It has like the best slab that I don't think it's, I've heard it's like the best slab ever in in indoor skate park, but a lot of people don't even know that. You know, when I'm out there in the park now, there's so many people because it's such a long street course, a lot of the population they're and, and they want to skate the one or the flat bar or a hip or a lower area that we have on our street course. They're kind of just throwing down. They're not like jumping up on top of a six foot climbing up on top of an eight foot, you know, and dropping in with like high speed at some of the obstacles that you can skate, if you do get your speed up and skate in a more traditional sense of like street skateboarding in a street on a street course in a skate park, you know? So because they're there kind of lingering at the bottom of these features, it's almost like, well, do I just demo that? I've I've thought about kind of do I turn the street course into a, into an actual plaza, bring in more materials, bring in fake trees, drop all the transition, the perimeter transition, wall it all the way around the perimeter, bringing like the graffiti just on those walls around the entire
0: surroundings.
1: And most things are a throw down to like centralized obstacles, like make it more like a plaza.
0: That would be sick as fuck. Um,
1: is, that, is that tight? I mean, I'm, I'm scared. I'm kind of half scared because it's it's feel like it's a really a, kind of a knee-jerk reaction response to what I'm seeing Okay, everyone's wallying. Okay, well then the box shouldn't be vertical. The end of the box should be at an angle. You know, so you can like bang off of it, you know? Just as you're you're always responding to like what you're seeing in skateboarding, you know, and trying to provide them like escape the, the obstacles for them to like enhance what they're doing now already. I don't know, it's it's weird. So some of my the, some of my fantasies, I suppose, TBS would be amazing world park even though it, that would be crazy we're just we just don't have the right space for it, potentially a plaza kind of like if it was totally cleared out and you were you 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 purchased or brought in a, a bench from California, you had some various kickers like maybe you had a love park trash can, maybe you you know went ahead and brought in more granite, brought in those fake trees or something you know green space it somehow, and then you kind of had these uh, these modular objects I've also considered like building like modular objects that the skateboarders themselves could manipulate into a variety of obstacles and concoctions, you know, so that they could sort of just be a part of it. And then I, I, cause I kind of think back to, to like all the times, you know, we're uh, at our age, you know, we had to make our own fun. So in making our own fun, part of the fun of skateboarding was making these things that we skated in the streets. And I think, Maybe kind of putting that in the in like today's skateboarder's hands might be pretty rad, you know.
2: You just gotta, you gotta, you gotta send a U-Haul up. You gotta steal the bench. The green <laughs> bench is yours. You gotta take it, Texas. You'd be like, don't mess with Texas for real, for real. It's funny you
1: say that because it's actually here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. <laughs> no okay. right. But uh, but you you like you're like yeah maybe you know.
3: You're thinking about this stuff intently and like with a lot of intention to make your skate park the best place to skate possible and that like uh correct me if i'm wrong like you're still heavily invested in skateboarding itself and doing it and thinking about it as far as i can tell like a is that true and b if it is like working so closely with skateboarding at least in my experience can sometimes sap your passion for it like how do you how do you stay so hyped on skateboarding being so close and like so involved
1: and that is a good question. Um, you know, I generally I'm just kind of slappy days in it, you know, like uh if I was on Baker Death Wish or something, like my superpower would be a slappy nose slide, like switch slappy nose slide, you know, nolly tail slide, stuff like that. Um, I can skate like some ledges and things like that, and uh, you know, kick flips and things like that. I spent so much time filming skateboarding and not participating in, you know, actually myself, like I'm doing more skateboarding now, you know, so in a way, I mean, things have felt better in the past. I play a lot of tennis. I know you guys discussed tennis a little bit. That's kind of got a real skateboarding vibe Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I, you know, so that gives me a good feeling. Gosh, what keeps me psyched on skateboarding? I mean, It's just always changing. And as soon as I think I've seen everything, something else happens. You know, GX1000, for example, it's a whole new genre of skateboarding happening. And then the scenes, like the rise of the various cities and like, here comes Philly again. I mean, we went through the heavy iteration of love, went on for many years. It dominated the news cycle for a long time. Um, And uh, Barcelona, you know, gosh, what keeps me psyched on skateboarding? I mean, as a buyer, I also see the lines. I see what people are making. I see the trends. I like aspects of of what what the kids are wearing, but I would never personally wear. Mm -hmm. But it just harkens back to like my time in the 90s. So I feel like we're in a good place watching all types of skateboarding happen all at once. You know, um, seeing on the regular girls coming in with guys to come skate the park, like, or, you know, girls coming as crews, whatever, like daily. That's been good. Uh, it's been refreshing, you know. I mean, skateboarding always moved in like, okay, everybody's everybody's uh, wearing white shirts and normal jeans. Uh, okay, all right, everybody's wearing et- these wraps, and then everybody's wearing a flat bill and chewing a straw. Everybody's like, <laughs> yeah. now we're all punk rock. I never wore skinny pants. Like I you could, I'd skip that one. But yeah, you know, like to see everything happening at one time, that makes it a lot more palatable, you know what I mean? Like because it's like you never know who you're dealing with or what they want and like what you're gonna set up or what you're gonna help somebody set up. So having been skateboarding since 87, like I can pull and help people find that that setup and I can speak on it, you know, which is great. I don't know. I think the customers keep me ex- stoked. And then whenever I do skate, like people just want to see me skate. They don't even care if I'm good or bad or whatever, you know. They're just like, like new Jack kids are just like, I didn't even know you skated. And then other kids or other dudes are like, I have, we have a few people who still skate at Southside consistently and have since 94. That's kind of crazy.
0: Well, it sounds like you got a lot to be stoked on, Eric. What else are you stoked on this week?
1: Stoked on my family and watching my children, Roman and Remy grow up. I'm stoked on uh, a little Little online store called SouthsideSkateShop.com. Uh, some hard good brands: American Blues Bearings, Candy Paint Hardware, and how well received our Southside pants and other soft goods have been. I'm super stoked on Shopify, omni-channel fulfillment, and the evolution of retail, which allows Southside to evolve and continue to exist to support skateboarding wave after wave. Support us 24/7 at SouthsideSkateShop.com. Stay up on my attempts at riding at SouthsideSkatePark.com. I'm also stoked on content creators like yourselves that take the time to entertain and inform all of us. I've been a mostly skateboarding podcast listener since forever. Uh, what do you What are you thankful for, Patrick? What are you hyped on?
4: Oh,
2: so this week, uh, I'm stoked on a lot. So off top, always stoked on Spitfire wheels, especially those new Ave joints, uh, especially the black ones. And I would never ride black wheels, but. Maybe for Ave, maybe for Spitfire. I'm definitely stoked on my trip to Seattle from earlier this month. Shout out to Leo, to Jamie, uh, Andy Vanderbilt, who wrote into the show, uh, and all the folks at 35th North, uh, and all my friends uh, for showing me such a great time. Wonderful food, great skating, and surprisingly nice uh, weather. Um, I'm also stoked on Wheels of Fortune 11. I want to give a massive round of applause to Kristen Eberling, Kebs, uh, for all of the work that she did uh, this past weekend on that wow just like it looked like the coolest event missed it by a week i'm also stoked on the fact that my old band rara rasputin uh who released its uh, first single in eight years is a song called not enough and we even made a video and templeton's wife kellett did the artwork and we love it and she knocked it out of the park and everyone was really happy with it off top and finally i'm really stoked on the fact that i found footage from one of my favorite bands of all time q not you from washington dc it's footage of their album release party from 2000 for their debut LP, no kill, no beep beep. Mike, what are you stoked on this week?
3: So I'm stoked on buying a kayak. I had this spring in Minneapolis, started looking at like used kayaks, but then I found out that used kayaks are the same price as new kayaks. So I ended up finally at the end of summer, finding a dented one that was like half off new, grabbed that, been out on the lake a couple times this week. It's beautiful. I highly recommend kayaking if you are so inclined. Also, I don't know if I'm stoked on it, but there's a crazy story from GQ that came out today, I think about how people have surgery to become taller by lengthening their legs, not to get into the gory details because we're skaters, but it involves uh, breaking the largest bone in your body. And what I would assume is (laughs) excruciating pain so that you can gain three to five inches. You also have to break the bones in your lower leg if you want the ex- like the extra two inches to add onto the three to make it a five. So sorry about that, if that made anybody feel really icky. I am a short guy and it blows my mind that people would go through that type of thing to uh, get moderately taller. But yeah, it's a super interesting story templeton i'll put the link in there and then uh last but not least also stoked on i was just uh before we started recording i was watching a timberwolves basketball game the play-in game that they won against the clippers this spring was watching that on nba tv i was at that game so i've never seen it on tv but i found myself texting my buddy with whom i went to the game and uh we were like oh my god this happened oh wow and i clapped and I was yelling and my daughter, who was going to bed and my wife was putting her to bed. My daughter told my wife, who then texted me, Papa, can you be more quiet? So I was hyped on that game. Darn it. Templeton, what are you stoked on this week?
0: I am stoked on the return of fall weather so I can really start dressing in some new Moreno wool stuff. I uh, left my job at a company that made Moreno wool stuff. And on the way out, I grabbed a bunch. So stoked to start wearing it.
3: Yo, did you, go, did you go World, World Park warehouse style, like with a, with a pillowcase?
0: Not quite. Uh, okay. there, there was, like, the warehouse is, like, in a different state. So I, I did have some help procuring some stuff from the warehouse. But then also there was, like, a bunch of samples and stuff that I made off with. So big bags, big bags of fine merino goods. So, yeah, very stoked to start wearing that stuff that's it for our show this week be sure to check out mostly skateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes uh we've been going long so you guys know where to find us online except for eric where can we find you online eric you can find me online uh at southside htx
1: um i want to say that's it (laughs) sorry (laughs) you guys i'm not too much on the twitter or anything you could uh always email us at info at southsideskatepark.com you
3: better off not being on twitter
1: yeah. Yeah. You can always call us at seven one three. No, it's obvious. Anyway.
2: <laughs> hey Eric, thanks for taking the time tonight. This is awesome. Thank you, Eric. And please keep up the good work and uh I'm looking checking out your site right now. I might have to cop a couple things.
1: Ooh. Oh dude. Thank you, man. Hey uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for letting me get on the soapbox <laughs> or something. Yeah, thanks anyway. so much, Eric. Right thank on, you. dude. Thank you, guys. Uh, why don't we? Why don't we make a code? Yeah, uh, let's do uh, mostly fifteen. I'll do fifteen percent off, like starting
2: now until the twentieth. You hear it first, like you're getting hooked up. This is an exclusive for all you listeners who make it to the end of this interview. You're getting a discount courtesy of the Homeboy. Don't forget to message on Instagram to send an email and say thank you. Right. Good night, y'all.
4: Another night running in the shadows to hide myself.